0: Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. Happy Thanksgiving weekend, everybody. If I haven't met you yet, like J.D. said, I am uh, primarily the pastor of fun here at Antioch. That is my primary job description. Secondarily, my wife and I are the college pastors here, Uh, but... That comes second to being the pastor of fun and keeping the culture of fun. Maybe I'll be the minister of culture. Anybody? No? All right. I like it. I like it. Hey, well, we're the college pastors here and have gotten to kind of be a part of Maisie's story. And guys, what a powerful story. I apologize for the low quality video on my iPhone recording the uh, baptism, but I just couldn't not. Because her story was so amazing of what God was doing. And I love what she said there. She said, I thought that God was waiting for me to come to him, but he came and he met me. Such a powerful word, such a powerful truth that I think all of us can hear today. And, and we're kicking off our Advent series, which I'm super pumped about. And we're going to be talking about actually that theme throughout this series of, of how God came. And how Jesus came in the midst of needs, that we all had needs and there were things that were lacking. And in the midst of it, Jesus came. And we're going to be kind of referencing a scripture that's holding us down for this series. It's in Isaiah 9, verse 2. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shown. And we're going to be talking about how Jesus came in a place of need and a place of darkness as that great light for us. And it is going to be a great month. If you weren't planning on coming to church the next few weeks, change your plans because it is going to be great. And today we're going to open up by talking about hope, that God came, that Jesus came into our lives because hope was lacking. Will you guys pray with me today? Jesus, we thank you so much that you came. Jesus, we thank you even for Maisie's story of how uh, there was this temptation and this desire and this, this darkness that was starting to close in on her, of depression coming in. And instead, Jesus, you came. You met her and you brought her out. And even the fears of, of the lies of what her story would be, you came and you redeemed her story. And Jesus, we thank you for even her baptism, that it was a moment to declare that God is so good, that Jesus is here with us. And Jesus, I just pray that as we jump into your word together, as we hear hear today, God, that you would draw our hearts to loving you more. Lord, that you would use my words, you would use the word of God to open us up to loving you more than ever before, Jesus. In your name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, hey, have you ever put your hope in something that lets you down? I definitely have. And, And for me, one that sticks out was winter of 2010. It was coming up on Christmas season, and I had put my hope in getting a new truck for Christmas. I had just gotten my driver's license in October, and I had started driving. For those of you who don't know, I have an identical twin brother, which means we get to share a lot of things. Uh, but at that time, I also was sharing with my dad. So we were, the three of us were sharing his 1995 blue F-150. The thing was made out of steel, probably weighed three tons. Uh, and it was a joy to drive, but difficult to share between three people. So I had put my hope in this new truck. And and on on Christmas Eve, my dad and my brother and I, we drove out of town to to pick up this truck. It was a brand new, actually 2004, but to me brand new, Toyota Tundra with big wheels, a grill guard. I mean, it was like my dream truck. And, And I started to have just this hope building in me of, oh, this is going to be the best Christmas That has ever happened. And we went and we picked it up on Christmas Eve and my dad actually drove it home so that he wouldn't spoil it for us, that Christmas Day would be the first time that we got to drive our new Toyota Tundra. So I go to sleep Christmas Eve, dreaming of driving this new truck the next day on Christmas morning, the greatest Christmas present I've ever had. And as I wake up, I run outside to the car, I I turn it on, and only to, as I open the door, the alarm goes off. You know, I'm I'm at this point trying to stay optimistic and not panic, but as the alarm starts going off, the steering column locks. That worries me a little more. And then the brake pedal and the gas pedal lock. And then we can't figure out how to turn it off. It goes and it goes it's Christmas morning, and I don't know who my neighbors are sleeping in, so we start to freak out a little bit. Three minutes in, five minutes in, the horn is still going off. We've tried every hack, closing the door, opening the door, locking it, coming in through the window, come, opening the trunk, unplugging the battery, plugging it. We have literally tried everything to the point where we actually just unplug the horns so that we're not disturbing our neighbors on Christmas morning. The, the car continues to honk even though the horns are unplugged to the point where it kills the car. So we now have a large chunk of metal sitting in our driveway that was supposed to be my amazing Christmas present. Yeah, I, thank you. I, that's how I felt, a, a moan on the front row, that this hope that I had built up was being destroyed quickly. So that whole day, like anybody else would do, I jump online and I start researching forums, how to turn off Toyota Tundra alarm, how to start Toyota Tundra, how to unlock the door. I am searching everything and my generation is pretty good at Google, but we could not figure it out. We couldn't figure out how to get in. And so that that goes on for all of Christmas Day. It goes on for all of the 26th. On through the 27th, three days, we still haven't driven our brand new truck. It's just sitting in our driveway being beautiful art. And on the 27th, I go to my extended family Christmas dinner and and everybody's kind of sharing, hey, what's the the best gift you got this year? What's something that you've enjoyed this year? And, And my brother and I share, well, we got this amazing truck, but we haven't been able to turn it on. It's just sitting there. And my uncle pipes up that he actually had a Toyota that had the exact same problem. Within five minutes of my uncle coming to my house, we had the car running, we jumped the battery, we were able to drive it around, we never had the issue again. And I was very thankful for Uncle Mark that day, very thankful that he knew how to fix Toyota alarms from going off. So if you ever have that happen on a mid-2000s Toyota, you know who to call. Uh, Slash, I don't remember how to fix it, so don't call me. And I know I'm not alone in putting my hope in things this season. Maybe for, for you, I saw some of you husbands el- elbowing your wife that you want a new truck this Christmas. Wives, I'm sorry that I told that story. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But in all honesty, we do put our hopes in things. We put our hopes in things, especially this season at the end of the year. Maybe for you, it's putting your hope in a Christmas bonus that, hey, we've had unexpected med- medical debt this year. and My hope is that we'll be able to pay it off with this bonus that's coming. Or maybe for you, it's the hoping that your, your boyfriend's going to propose this season of, oh, okay, it's that time of year and we've been together for a while. Maybe, maybe this will happen. We all put our hope in something. Or maybe for you, you're just hoping, oh, I just hope 2020 is going to be better than 2019. It was a rough year and, I, and I'm just hoping that, that next year is going to be better than this one. That we can all put our hope and things in our lives. And I think we would all admit that at times when we put our hopes in these things, they don't pan out, or, or even worse, that at times we, we don't even have hope to have, that we feel hopeless, we feel like there's, there's actually no way forward from our circumstances, and we've actually forgotten the, the reality outside of what we feel like right now. The, uh, the reality, no, it's just a dark reality. It just feels dark, that life is just dark, and, and maybe for you that's because depression is so heavy that you see no way out or that your family is such a mess, or your marriage is so far gone that it feels like this light that was at the end of the tunnel, that maybe there's hope is getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. And honestly, I think a lot of us view hope this way. We view hope as this like end of the tunnel, that if we could just get to the light at the end of the tunnel, if we could just get to this thing, or if we could just get to that thing, that that our circumstances may change, that, that even though the circumstances were dark, if we can just get to the end, then our hope will be met. And the funny thing is, this, this pattern of hope being this light at the end of the tunnel is actually as old as time. It's actually been around as long as humans have been around, and, and it becomes this pattern all throughout the Old Testament. You see, there's this pattern of there being a roller coaster of the people of God as they follow him. That God would speak a promise to his people. He would, he would speak a word. And in the, as they're going along, that they would start to stray from these words. Even the, the, what we read from Isaiah, it's a promise. There's a light to come. There's, there's goodness to come. And instead of holding on to that hope, they, the, their circumstances say, actually, it's a dark time. Actually, there, there's darkness around you. And people would start to, to walk away from living in the hope of the word that God had given. And they'd be hopeless in the circumstance that's going on around them. And there's dozens of stories, hundreds of stories, all throughout the Old Testament of this pattern happening of God speaking a truth and then people putting their hope in it and then straying as their circumstances changed around them. Even from the very beginning, we saw Adam and Eve that God promised this life with them of walking with them in the garden, but as, as their circumstances changes, as temptations came, that they said, actually, maybe, maybe the hope is different. I can just choose this. And they started to just stray from the hope of God And this pattern continues, that all throughout the Bible we see this storyline going of, of, "There's a promise from God, but then we would worship false idols. There's a promise from God, but we would dishonor His commandments. There was a promise from God, but they would worship other gods, that it starts to go through this pattern of people turning away and forgetting the word that God had spoken. And I think this is much like we experience today, that that we have hope in God, but our circumstances start to swirl around us, and we lose that hope. You see, this all came to a head in in the Old Testament, where it starts turning to becoming the New Testament through one key prophecy. It was prophesied hundreds of times, hundreds and hundreds of times, but the people of God, they would have recognized this prophecy, and one of the places where they would have seen it was in Isaiah 9. It says, "'For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given.'" Some of you may have heard this before. And the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See, they knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel. They knew there was a promised light that was to come. And for hundreds of years, the prophets had spoken of this Messiah that was coming this Savior that would come. And and as we even come into this Advent season, it's a time of us reflecting on this promise of Jesus coming. And as time went on, each person would go on to create this mental picture of what the light at the end of the tunnel would look like. Maybe for them it was, hey, the the end of the tunnel was an overthrow of the Roman authorities, this oppressive government that when the Messiah comes, he's going to set us free. He's going to be the king. Or maybe for others, it was, no, actually, he's going to rebuild the temple of old, and we're going to have a a building to worship in. That they all started to create these expectations of what the end would look like. And then it happened. The light at the end of the tunnel finally came to them. And as we see in the Bible, in fact, a lot of people were disappointed in this light. Because each person had decided in their mind what it would look like that that they wanted a Savior to change their circumstances rather than a Savior to come live among them and save their sins. They didn't want someone to come do that. They wanted someone to come change their circumstances. And we're going to pick up this narrative where we left off the last couple weeks. If you have been around the last couple weeks, you know we've been talking about a guy named John the Baptist. And we're going to pick up in this story. You see, the, the people of God had heard from prophets for years and years and years. But there was this time of about 400 years where there was silence. That no prophet spoke on behalf of God. God didn't use people to, to speak. That, that there was no fresh word to hold on to about the light coming. And we're about to, to jump in to talk about, about when Jesus comes. But I think for, for some of us, before we move on, some of you may feel like you're in that in-between where God's just silent, where it's, God hasn't spoken a word you're going towards, or you don't know the truth that you're moving towards. And I I think the word for you today is, what was the last place that you saw God? Where was the last place that God spoke to you? And just go back to that and live in it, because God wants to be with you. But we're going to jump in, talking about hope today, continuing in John chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles with you, Go ahead and grab them. If you've got a cell phone, I'm going to pretend you're not texting or on Instagram and trust that you're looking at your Bible. We're going to start in John chapter one, and I love the word of God. I love that in, our, in, in every dark season, the word brings hope into our lives. We're going to start in John one, chapter one. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He was, in him was life, the life that was the light of men, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I love that this scripture starts to paint Jesus as both the word and the light. That this applies to both the Old Testament, that they've been given a word, they've been given a promise, they've been given a truth to hold on to, and it says, hey, there's this Messiah that's come, and he is the word. But they've also been looking for the light at the end of the tunnel, they've also been looking for a, a hope in a dark season, and they say he is the light. That it's painting Jesus as this picture of both the promise and the light to come. Continuing reading, it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that he might be, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. You see John the Baptist like we've been talking about the last couple of weeks was a prophet sent by, sent by God to tell people, "Hey, you've been hearing about this light, you've been hearing about this hope to come, he's here." He's come. His time is now. And I love what we heard in our last series when, when Ryan Walker talked about how many people wondered if John was the, the light. Many people were like, oh, maybe this guy, maybe he's the promise. Maybe he's the light. And John, instead of going and building his own followers, he says, you know what? I know my calling, and it's to point it to the true light. It's not to build my own following, but it's to declare that the Messiah is coming. If you missed those sermons, you should go watch them on YouTube incredible message, but let's keep reading in verse nine. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, and who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. and we have seen his glory, glorious as the son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He came and he dwelt among us. You see, I think the people of God would see the, the picture kind of like this. Dramatic moment. There we go. Almost there. There we go. You see, I, I think they may have seen it more like this, that, that life was dark, that the, the, the life around them was dark and that their circumstances were bleak, but they knew if they could just get to the light at the end of the tunnel, that light would rush in and they'd have clarity. I know right now, if I went to those back doors and I pushed them open, that all of us would have light flood into this room. And that's how they started to view hope. If I could just get to that point in the end, if I could just get to this or get to that, then then light will flood in. I'll have clarity. I'll understand where I just came from, and I'll understand what's going on. And maybe for you, it kind of reads like this. If I could just get to the end of this breakup, if it would just be over and this breakup would pass by, then I would know that, that I could be to the light and I would be able to see why all of that had to happen. Or maybe for you, you're like, I know if I can just get to the end of this holiday season, get through the terrible times with my family, then I'll be able to say nice things about them in a few weeks once I've gotten to the light. And ultimately, I think the reality that Jesus had was more like this. More like this right in front of us. Not saying that the light is is at the end of the tunnel, but saying the light is with you. You see, Jesus came not to be the light at the end of the tunnel with people, but he came to be with people. He came to be present, and I can't see every corner of this room. You know, I can see what's around me. I can see the the things with me because the light is with me, and you guys, you see, Jesus came to be present with people. When he came as hope, he didn't come as a hope to change something in your future. He came to change your now, that he would be a light with you. And no, I I may not understand every circumstance I'm going through, but I do understand that he's with me in the midst of it. I may not be able to see how I'm going to get to the end of this situation that's going on in my life, but I can see that he's present with me. And so maybe your circumstance reads more like this. Well, my marriage is a mess right now, but God, how can I love my wife today? That's hope in a hard situation because he's with us. Or, or maybe it reads like this, God, I don't understand why my, my family member is going through sickness, but you're with me and you'll mourn with me. Can I cry with you, Jesus? Can I tell you how hard life is right now? That Jesus's intent was never for us to, to, to run to the end of the tunnel and hope that the end of our circumstances is our hope, but was for us to be with him, that he came as the light of hope in our lives. You guys can turn the lights back on. Thank you, guys. You see, Jesus came because hope was missing in our lives, and light was missing in our lives. He saw our darkness. He saw the darkness that the people of God were going through and wandering through. He sees the darkness that's going on in your life, and and instead of saying, hey, get to this destination. I'll meet you there. He says, I want to come and be with you. I want to come and be in the midst of it all. There's a popular definition of hope around the church that says hope is the confident expectation of good. And I love that definition, but I think as I'm reading the Bible, I I, I see it more like this, that hope is the confident expectation that Jesus is with us in the midst of our circumstances, no matter what's going on. That no matter what our circumstances are, we don't have to look towards the end, but we can be confident that Jesus is with us no matter how dark we feel. Because you see, I think everybody in here is going to have hardship, no matter how good you are, no matter how good your life is. I think all of us are going to go through hard times, but Jesus' invitation is to walk through the darkness with him as your light. And what if we saw hope as a friend rather than a destination? That we saw hope as as one who walks with us. I think that if we saw hope as a friend rather than a destination, then we'd be a church filled with joyful, expectant people that even when they go through hardship, instead of asking why, they'd say, who is with me? He's with me. And they'd see Jesus in the midst of it. You see, as a, as a church, we got to witness this firsthand about a year and a half ago when one of our loved ones and one of our pastors, Liz Griffin, had a stroke. It was life-shaking. It was scary. It was real. And, and in the midst of it, the Griffins were faced with the possibility that Liz may never return to normal again. She may never return to a normal life that not only uh, would she maybe never walk again, but she may never drive a car again or, or cook dinner for her family or do any of those normal life functions. But in the midst of it all, J.D. and Liz did something that I thought was beautiful. They didn't let their circumstances dictate their hope. They weren't swayed by, by the the nervous predictions of doctors, they weren't swayed by negative analysis or when, when other things came up beyond the stroke and different medical symptoms came up, they weren't swayed by that. Instead, they actually would change the atmosphere of rooms that they walked in. They would actually get to pray for nurses and doctors through this crazy season of spending so much time with the medical staff. And, and I, I think that if, if you were on the outside looking into that situation, the question you would ask is, how could this not be fake? How could they not be faking it in the midst of this hardship, in the midst of this season that's so dark? How could they not just be faking it? And the reason is because for years, the Griffins have leaned into hoping in Jesus. For years, in in easy times and in hard times, they've leaned into Jesus as their present hope, not the destination as their hope. In financial need, they said, Jesus, you're with us and you're going to provide our every need. In times of need for healing, they say, God, you're with us. You're with us in every place. And instead of that, they never forgot that, that hope wasn't dependent on their healing, hope wasn't dependent on their recovery, but hope was dependent on Jesus being with them. And that's the truth they held on to them, that they, they knew they were fully standing on the fact that Jesus was with Liz and with J.D. and with the kids, no matter what the circumstances said. And I think the the beautiful thing about that is is there's an invitation for the rest of us today. There's an invitation for the rest of us to do the same things that that they've done for years. To know Jesus and to believe his truth. That the Griffins for years had built a foundation of saying we know who Jesus is and we know what the truth says so when our circumstances change, our hope will not. Because we're with hope and he's the light of our circumstances. And I think that there's three ways that we do this, that we hold on to hope that we say, I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to build this platform for you. Maybe you're not going through a hardship right now. And and that season for you is saying, actually I'm building for when it comes. I'm going to build a foundation so that just like the Griffins, when hardship came, when darkness came, the light was right there with them. They weren't looking for it. The first is getting into the word of God. Guys, the word of God is so good. It's his gift to us. It's our firm foundation. And if you've never read the word of God, you're not too late. It's not too late to start now, to start building up this basement of truth underneath you of of what God says. Because when the hard times come, you'll be able to recall it. You'll be able to say, but I know that he is good because this is what the word says. The second is you run to Jesus in your time of need. That so often when, when dark times come, we, we bury it in different things. We bury it in, in maybe alcohol. Or we bury it in social media. And we bury it in, in busyness. And instead of running to Jesus, the one person who can actually comfort us in the midst of it, we turn to all of these false gods in our life. But Jesus is ready for us. He's saying, hey, I'm right here. I'm the light in your darkness. Come be with me. And thirdly, we surround ourselves with people who will bring us to the light. Because you know what, guys? No matter how much you know the word, no matter how much you cry out to Jesus, we're all going to have a day when we need the family around us to remind us of how good he is. We're all going to need our life group to rally around us and help us financially in our time of need. We're all going to need people behind us that, that when the breakthrough comes, we can say, hey, will you guys go baptize me in a fountain on UT's campus? You might get arrested, but let's do it. We all need community around us. So the invitation is for all of us, will we meet Jesus in our hopelessness? Because ultimately, hopelessness, I think, is actually just a misnomer. Hopelessness is just us not knowing where Jesus is in our circumstances. It's just not knowing where he is. And I think there's something powerful that happens when a a church all steps into saying, no matter our circumstances, we will hold to hope. How many of your family members that you saw this last weekend would be radically changed by seeing you go through a hardship but hold on to hope? Or your neighbors or your co workers. Because you see, guys, there's something powerful about not only you going through and holding on to Jesus, but others around you seeing what he's done in your life and being able to say, actually, I see that he's good, I see that he's real, I see that he's kind. And that's why I love that during this Advent series, we're going to be starting with stories of transformation in people's lives. Just like we got to hear from Maisie of what God's done in her life. And I think this is so powerful because sometimes all we need to unlock the hope in us is a reminder of what he's done in our family. is a reminder of what he's done in your life and in your life and in your life that'll set us free to hope in him again. We're going to have a time of response here and some of our leaders are going to come down to the front to pray because I really believe, I really, really believe that Jesus wants to meet people in their place of need today. He wants to meet people in their place of hopelessness and specifically, I feel like there's people out there that when you heard Maisie's story of depression, that something sunk in your heart of, I wish that was my story. I wish that I could look forward and have hope. I wish I could overcome these lies or these fears that I have in my heart that that Maisie had this fear of, my story's going to end like my grandmother did. And that's why she never got baptized. She never got baptized because she thought, you know, I have to stay away from water because that's my destiny is I'm going to die in that one day. And instead, Jesus came in and he said, Maisie, I'm with you. I'm your hope. Your hope isn't in making it to the end of your life without dying. Your hope is in walking with me in the midst of this hardship. And I believe that every one of us today has a chance to meet Jesus in our hopelessness. So will you guys stand with me?